Amen. We weren't as good as that. <laughs> Close. Well, these two men were walking in the field one day, and as they were walking, they suddenly spotted a enraged bull, and so they immediately darted to the nearest fence. The storming bull came following after them, set to gore them. Terrified, one of the uh, men cried out to the other, John! you got to throw up a prayer, man. This bull's about to catch us. And, and, and John said, well, I can't. I don't know how. I've never prayed a public prayer before. And, and, and John's friend, who was just terrified, said, you got to do something. you got to pray or this bull's going to catch us. And John finally said, all right, I'll pray the only prayer I know publicly speaking. It's the prayer that my father used to repeat at the dinner table. And then John cried out and he said, oh, Lord. Make us thankful for about what we are about to receive. <laughs> and you know, that's actually a pretty biblical prayer if you think about it. Does the first Thessalonians chapter five say that we are to be thankful in all circumstances? And all means all all of the time, and that's all all will ever mean. Well, this morning as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians, we're gonna look at an inspired prayer. We're going to look at an anointed prayer by the Apostle Paul, and I've entitled the message this morning, What Do I or What Do You Pray For? Father, I thank you so much for the worship this morning and the worship team, and I know they put a lot of effort into it. And we just thank you for them and all our worship teams, Lord. They're such a blessing to us. And now, Lord, as we come to your word, I just... Invite you even in greater measure, Holy Spirit, to come and manifest yourself. I ask that you would fill me up. I ask that you would just fill this place up. That you would truly give us soft hearts to receive and ears to hear. I ask for a blessing upon each and every person here. I believe that you drew them to be here this morning. And now I'm asking that your kingdom will. Your kingdom will is going to be accomplished. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. Skip, can you I am convinced that the only hope for this world, and I think everyone knows what happened on Friday night, and I really believe that the only hope for this world, I believe that the only hope for this country, I believe the only hope for the American lethargic, lukewarm church is prayer, united prayer, and that's why we've here at BCC are going to dedicate ourselves more and more to prayer because I am absolutely convinced that it's the only hope for each and every one of us. And so we need to get serious about prayer. And the obvious question is, what should a believer be praying for? A lot of us really don't know what we should be praying for. And, you know, if you read the epistles and the Apostle Paul's letters, oftentimes you will see a prayer of the Apostle Paul. I call those anointed prayers. I call those inspired prayers. And we're going to look at one of those inspired prayers this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, starting at verse 15, or you can look it up here on the screen. And Skip puts it up. Ever since I first heard, so here goes Paul, of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly 
asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those who are called his holy people who are the riches are his rich and glorious inheritance. Paul continues on, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things, all things under the authority of Christ, and he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. This is an incredible prayer. And do you see what starts it out? Do you see what motivates Paul to pray? First, he says, I am so excited to pray for you because of your dynamic faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of these people who he's writing to were his converts. And he's so happy that they're walking with Jesus Christ and their vibrant faith. But he's also, don't miss this, he is so thankful for the love that they have for all the people of God. Do not miss the correlation here. The correlation is this. If you say that you have a strong, vibrant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's your vertical relationship, then the result will be that you will have a dynamic, deep love for all of God's people. That's our horizontal relationship. It really shocks me how many, many people, in quote Christians, will say to me, you know, Pastor, You don't need the church to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, it is absolutely true, that you do not need to be going to church or to be around God's people to become a Christian. Like, it's it's no different uh, than, you know, if someone says, hey, I go to church and that makes me a Christian. It's no different than someone saying, I stand in a garage, go vroom, vroom, and I'm a Jaguar. Doesn't work that way. What makes you a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, is you must be born again. Jesus did not shrink back from the word. He said that you must be born again. And being born again means that you have a dynamic relationship with God the Father through the Holy Spirit working miraculously in your heart and your faith grabbing hold of what the Holy Spirit reveals to you about Jesus and his death on the cross and you really see the blackness of your heart and because you see the blackness of your heart and the goodness of Jesus Christ and what he's doing on the cross, you reach out in faith and you grab hold of it, and you say, oh God, oh Jesus, now I see why you died on the cross. You died for me. And you really grab hold of that, and you become born again. You become born anew, and you say, well, how do I know if I'm really born again? I've said it many weeks now. The chief mark of a born-again person is your mind begins to transform. Your mind begins to change. You begin to change. I begin to change. And one of those changes is you begin to value what God values. And let me tell you something. You know what Jesus Christ really values? He values his family, his church, whom he died for. He says, I want you to love them as I love them. So when someone says to me, hey, I'm really born again, 
but you have no real love for the people of God, that's a real red flag. You know, I've been around the Capital District for the last several years via the Jesus Soda Survey. And I'll tell you, it's fascinating to go around the Capital District. You learn a lot about the faith of people in the Capital District. It's kind of scary a little bit. And one of the most troubling trends that I see happening in the Capital District in terms of faith uh, is so many people will come up and they'll say, you know, uh, I'm a Christian. You know, I've trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. And I'll say, well, that's awesome. And then I'll ask him, what church do you fellowship at? Well, you know, I really don't have time. I don't, I don't really see it that is important. I mean, my church is me just walking out in the forest. It's me and Jesus. You know, if I had a dollar for every time an in quote Christian said to me, you know, you don't need the church to be a Christian. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'd be a rich man. I would be a rich man. And I said, it is partly true that the church doesn't necessarily save you. But let me be crystal clear on this point because Paul makes it clear. He said, if you're truly born again, if you've been born from above, then you will be in church. You will be part of a body of believers. The Holy Spirit, by the way, in you will impel you to give you a love for the people whom Jesus died for. Well, it's really quiet in here. Now that we're sufficiently convicted, we can go on to verse 17. Maybe we'll move on to something a little more positive. Then he says this, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might make tons and tons of money, so that you might be famous, so that you might become president of the United States, so that you might climb the professional ladder, so that you might achieve the American dream, so that you might help the Giants actually get a defense. That's not what Paul prays for the believers. Paul prays this. He prays for you and he prays for I that we would be given spiritual wisdom, that is understanding, supernatural insight, enlightenment, so that we may know God. Do you understand that is the sole priority? That is the sole goal of life. The sole goal, the priority of life is to know God. Everything else in your life and in my life is an outworking of that. And no one dramatizes that point better than Moses the Magnificent. After the Israelites miraculously crossed the Red Sea, Moses took about two million Jews to the Mount Sinai, and God called Moses to the top of Mount Sinai to give him a, a more detailed description of the law. In fact, Moses was up there 40 days, and he was up there 40 nights, and the natives got restless. The Jews got restless. They thought something happened to you know, Moses. They thought maybe God smote Moses. So you know what the Israelites did? They got stupid. And as one person likes to say, George, you can't fix stupid very easily. You know what they did? They took things into their own hands. 
They took things into their own hands. And so Moses is gone. They turn to Moses' brother Aaron. Now, this is mind-boggling to me. And they say, we want, you know, Aaron says, give me all of your gold. And so they give him all their gold. And, 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 and Aaron fashions this golden calf that was one of the gods of Egypt. Skip, can you put up the picture? There it is. Now, I mean, he must have, I mean, Aaron must have had a touch of Michelangelo in him. I don't know. I mean, how in the world do you take there, you know, all of this gold and you fashion a calf like that? And what blows my mind, remember you get stupid now when you take things into your own hand and they began to worship that metal object. Now, I mean, how dumb can you get? They begin to worship that metal object and then they even get dumber. They begin to party and they begin to move into debauchery and sexual immorality. And things begin to disintegrate even further from there. And I want to make a point here. And my point is this. The real lesson I want to learn us to learn from this is, you know, sometimes it feels like God has abandoned us. You ever felt that way? You ever feel like just God left you? I mean, your situation is dire. Maybe your job, you know, is falling apart. Maybe you're about to lose your job, maybe. And I mean, it's, things just seem to be crumbling. Or maybe your marriage is crumbling right now. Things just aren't going right in your marriage. Or maybe your finances aren't right. Maybe your bank account's almost empty and you've got the bills piling up. And you begin to panic and you begin to cry out to God and the heavens seem like they're brass to you. And so you know what we so often do? We do the human thing. We begin to take things into our own hands. And you know what happens when you take things into your own hands? Things go badly. Let me tell you, every time you take things into your own hands, sin is going to be the result. And the reason why sin will be the result is every time I take things into my own hands or you take things into your own hands, what happens is is we grieve the Holy Spirit, we give Satan legal access into our life and into the lives of our family, and the next thing you know, we begin to sin and things begin to disintegrate. So... Can I just give you a piece of advice here when you don't know what to do? And maybe you're there this morning. Maybe that's why you're here. When you do not know what to do, do not take things into your own hands. Here, I'm going to give you some advice right now, and I know what I'm talking about because I'm in the throes of this myself. When you don't know what to do, and you haven't heard from God, and you've cried out to him, and you've cried out to him, and you haven't heard from him, and you don't know where to go, The first thing I'm going to tell you, first piece of advice is keep praying, keep knocking, keep seeking. The second thing I would tell you to do is continue to be faithful to the light he previously gave you. So if he calls you to that job, continue to stick at that job. Continue to stick at that marriage. Whatever he calls you to do, don't deviate it from the left or the right. Continue to be faithful to the light he's given you. The third thing I would tell you to do is continue to be obedient. It's so easy when you don't feel good about yourself and things are falling apart to fall into sin, to to choose something that's going to make you feel better, but it's only temporary. So continue to be obedient to Jesus in the commandments. You know, more than likely, what you might be experiencing now, I know what I'm experiencing, it's a test. Did you know that? It's a test. God will test us. And the way you pass the test, 
The way you pass the test is not by taking things into your own hands because you don't see God doing anything. The way you pass the test is by being faithful to him. Keep on praying. Keep on seeking him. Keep on being faithful to the light that he's given you. Stay where you are. Be faithful to it. And do not fall into moral sin. Trust him. Trust him. I cannot just encourage you enough to do that. Well, you know, Israel sinned badly. They did. They took things into their own hands. I mean, they really sinned badly. They really got fools. But God forgave them. God forgave them. He chose not to judge them. But watch what he does. Watch what he he does say. Skip, can you put up those scriptures in Exodus chapter 33? It says this. The Lord said to Moses, get going, you and the people you have brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I will give this land to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, the Jebusites, and all the otherites. Go up to the land that flows with milk and honey. Watch this now. But I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. Now listen very carefully. I want you to think about this. Really think about this. God says to you, you know what? I'm going to give you that job. I'm going to give you that dream job that you've always wanted. The job that you really thought would satisfy you and fulfill you. But I'm not going to be going there. I won't be there with you. I'm going to let you win that lottery, God says to you. You've always thought that money was your problem. You always thought that money would solve your problem. I'm going to let you go ahead and buy that lottery ticket. I'm going to let you win that jackpot of $10 million. But I'm going to tell you what. I won't be there with you. You won't have my presence. You know what? You've always thought, God said, that person, that was your soulmate. I'm going to let you marry that person. I'm going to give you that person that you think is your soulmate. That's going to bring such fulfillment to your life. But listen to me now. I'm not going to be there with you. I'm not going to be present. What do you choose? Do you choose God or do you choose that deep longing in your life that you think only in this world can solve it and, and answer it? Which do you really choose? You know, that's essentially what God was saying to the Israelites and to Moses. He was saying, look, I'm going to give you heaven on earth. I'm going to give you this land that's flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to protect it, and and, and you're going to think you're in heaven almost. But I'm not going to be there with you. Now, you know, I don't really know what the Israelites would have chosen because it's not clear in the text. But we do know what Moses did. So, Skip, can you put up those verses? says this. Then Moses said, God, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? Now watch this. I love this. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the people of the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked for. I will look favorably on you, and I know you by name. 
Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. I love that. Moses not only chose God. Now get this. Moses not only chose God. He said, I want to know you more. Let me see more and more and more and more glory. Do you know that you can have that? No, no. Listen to me now. You can have that. The only thing that stops you or I from experiencing the incredible glory and presence of God is ourselves. I'm going to give you a prayer that's changed my life. It's a radical prayer. But I'm going to give you a prayer that can honestly change your life. And here it is. Are you ready? Lord. I just want to know you. I just want to know you more and more. I ask that you don't take me out of my circumstances. Forgive me in the past for doing that. I ask, Lord, that you leave me in my circumstances, but that I know you, that I know you more, that I know you in a deeper way in this incredibly deep, dark hole. I ask that you show your glory to me. I ask that you show me your light. I ask that you show me your power so that I may know you more and overcome and become stronger. I challenge you. I challenge you to pray that prayer. It will change your life forever, and it will begin to change the people around you. And then the apostle Paul said in verse 18 this. This is the next thing that he prayed for. He said, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand with the confident hope he has given to those he has called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Hope. What a beautiful word. You know, For most of us, the hope is something out there, something just beyond our grasp. It's kind of a hope so. Some of you are probably saying, I sure hope, Frank, it's a brand new joke book for Christmas, for example. It's a hope so. But you know, in the Bible, a hope is not a hope so. It is something that is certain. And what is certain and what is spoken of, especially in the New Testament, is heaven. What is absolutely certain and spoken in terms of certainty is that the eternality of God, the eternality of heaven, and being in his presence is certain. It is certain that the believer is going to be in the presence of God forever. Remember I said last week what heaven is, is it just pulsates with life. You wonder what heaven will be like more than anything else, it will pulsate with life. And you and I and the believer are going to be there forever and ever and ever. My question to you is this. Are you certain that when you die, this is going to be true? Are you? Are you absolutely certain that when you die, that this will be true, true for you? You know, it's it's absolutely critical It's absolutely critical that you be certain about what the future lies for you. And you ask, well, why is it absolutely certain? Why is it certain that I know 
That when I die, the last day when this tent is struck down, that I know that immediately I will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. I will be in the presence of life. I will be with the community of believers forever and ever and ever. That Jesus right now will have been finished with my dwelling. It's going to be perfectly suited for me. And he's crafted a job. Do you know that each and every believer has a job that's perfectly suited for you that you'll experience total satisfaction and joy in? Why is it important that I be absolutely certain about this? You know why it's absolutely certain or or, or absolutely essential that you be certain of this hope? The answer lies in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. You might want to just memorize this verse. It's an incredible verse. The writer of the book of Hebrews says this. We have this hope. Now watch this. As an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. You know what an anchor is? Skip put up the picture. An anchor is a force. It is a real force that stabilizes a ship, especially when the storms are just raising, the, the, raging, the bows, you know, the, the waves are just crashing over the bows. That's what an anchor does. Life. You know, one well-known writer said this about life. He said, life is difficult, you think? <laughs> but I'd like to add this. I'd like to say this. I'd like to say life is crushing. Life at times can be absolutely crushing. You're experiencing trials and tribulations. You're experiencing suffering. You're experiencing disappointment. You're experiencing discouragement. You're experiencing depression. And these waves are just coming at you. And they're crashing over the bow of the ship of your life. And it seems like you're going to sink. And then Paul cries out. He says this to you. Remember the prayer? He says, I pray that your soul will experience incredible enlightenment so that you may know the hope to which God has called you. And I say, oh. I say, this isn't the miserable end for me right now, Lord. And Papa says, Frank, it's just a battle. You may even lose this battle, but it's just a battle. And I want you to know, I want you to know, Frank, that you will be victorious. You will be victorious. And you say, no, wait a minute. You say, how can I know for certain that I will be victorious? And this is is the conclusion. This is the challenge. And here it is. Here's how you can know. Skip, put it up. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. For us who believe him, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. 
God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. How many here are sports fans? Just, just raise them. You can, you, I hate this. You know what is it? Okay. We, we, we got some sports fans here. I used to be an incredible sports fan. And uh, many years ago, Sports Illustrated magazine ran an article entitled The Greatest Comebacks in History. Here are some of the greatest comebacks in all of history, according to Sports Illustrated. It's actually a rather eclectic list. Listen to this now. This is Sports Illustrated, right? It's a secular magazine. Elvis Presley made the list. Many of you probably might not remember. I'm dating myself. Remember Elvis Presley's career. But his, his career was in the dumper. And then 19, uh, 1984, I think, or 86, Elvis Presley had this television special. Anybody remember it? And all of a sudden, the guy rockets back up. I mean, his, 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 his career takes off again, and he becomes known as the king of rock and roll. You know who else made this list? Muhammad Ali. Some of you might remember Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was a heavyweight champion of the world. He decided to dodge the Vietnam draft. He was, went into enforced exile, prison. Seven years later, he comes back, and Muhammad Ali wins the heavyweight championship of the world. It was the first time that that had ever been actually accomplished. Then there's Harry Truman. Harry Truman made the list. Some of you may or may not remember Harry Truman, but he was the president following Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was running for re-election in 1948, and everyone thought that he was going to get trounced. In fact, newspapers before election night actually had the headlines reading, reading Dewey Trounces, you know, uh, Truman. Absolutely wrong. It just ended up being reversed, and it was one of the greatest comebacks in all of political history. Michael Jordan actually made the list. Michael Jordan, of course, was a great basketball player. Then he quit and decided to play baseball. It didn't work out well for him. Returned back to basketball, and many say he's perhaps the greatest basketball player to ever play, and he even has a tennis shoe after, named after him, Air Jordan. Not too shabby, huh? You know what else is kind of interesting? They also... Made and we, we, we found that humanity even made the list. You say, well, what do you mean humanity made the list? Well, humanity actually had an amazing comeback. In the 14th century, the bubonic plague was just ravaging through Europe. 25 million Europeans were killed. It looked like Europe might get wiped out, but Europe came back. And you know how we know that Europe came back? That's why most of us are here, by the way, all right? Germany and Japan made the list. You say, well, why did Germany and Japan make the list? Germany and Japan made the list because after World War II, they were bombed out. They were absolutely decimated. And within 50 years, both of them became major economic powers today in the world. And now drum roll, please. The drum roll is this. According to, thank you, according to Sports Illustrated, here is the greatest comeback in history. It belongs to this man right here. Skip. I love it. There it is. No. According to Sports Illustrated magazine, and I quote, in A.D. 33, Jesus stunned the Romans. He defied his critics by his resurrection from the grave. Now listen to this. And and the Apostle Paul wrote in, in chapter 1, 
in verses 19 through 23, he said the very power, now listen to this, the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now resides in you and you and you and me. And maybe, maybe you're down right now. Maybe you feel like you've been knocked down. But I want you to know that you can and you will get back up because you have resurrection power in you. Maybe Satan has knocked you down. Maybe sin has tripped you up. Maybe sickness has you sidelined. Maybe death is knocking at your door. But I want you to know these things will not overcome you. You shall overcome them. You say, how can I know? Because I know the grave is empty and the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now resides in you. That is the truth. That is the very truth. And it's time. No, no. It is time for the church to quit being defeated and recognize that power lies in you. It is time to get up from off the mat. It is time to stop people like ISIS and abortion and the same-sex men. All of these things, it's time for us to quit cowering and stand up and believe that we have that power within us. Father, all that we would What an incredible prayer. And as someone said this morning before the service, they had read the prayer and they said, isn't it interesting? There's nothing about Cadillacs or Mercedes or jobs or any of that stuff. Knowing God. Knowing the sole power and resource of the earth to know him more. Oh, that you would give every one of us like Moses. May Moses' tribe increase. Oh, Lord, that we would know the hope, that we would really know the hope that awaits each one of us. We have an incredible inheritance, a credible future. The best is yet to come for each one of us. May we, you breathe that now into each and every believer. And finally, I ask that you, Holy Spirit would let us know that we would know the power that we have. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is the very power that lives in me. I can overcome what's happening in my family. I can overcome what's happening in my workplace. I can overcome what is happening in this world. I do not have to live in fear anymore. Oh, I pray that each and every one of us will begin to truly live in victory because we're experiencing those things. I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.